Good morning, everyone. I think it's warmer down here than outside right now, so I apologize about that. I was dressed for outside, and then I came downstairs, and I was like, oh, a little muggy down here, uh, but it's okay. Um, let me just pray to collect myself before we jump into this. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you for today that we can be together and open up, our, uh, open up your word. Would you uh, speak clearly? Um, and would you just impress yourself on our hearts? Would you increase in this space? And uh, may we decrease. Pray for those who are actively suffering right now that have questions, doubts, and are in pain. Would you comfort them today? Uh, with the promise that you are over history, you are over this world, and you are coming home, or you are you are bringing us home and uh, coming back to answer um, the suffering and the evil that is in this world, and you will set things right. We pray in uh, the name of Jesus. Amen. So who here has ever played team sports? Hopefully most of you. Um, I have had, uh, I had a, a mentor once. He was my boss, and uh, he was this great leader. He was a lawyer, activist, whatever. He was all these things, but one thing he did was he, t he coached his son's baseball team, the Little League baseball team. And he would use this... Uh, um, this speech with the Little League baseball team, but he also used it for the office to build up our team. And um, he would say this to the Little League baseball kids. He would say, when, when you're playing, you need to remember a few things. There are a few things bigger than you. Number one, the team. You are not the only one on the field. There is a team that is playing together, and it's bigger than you. The next is the game. I need you to respect the game. Baseball is bigger than you. <clears throat> and then the last, he would say, and the third thing you need to remember is that I'm bigger than you. And it was this moment where he's like, remember, I'm the coach, okay? When I ask you to do something, Remember, I am physically bigger than you, so you got to pay attention. You got to listen to me. And today we're in the final few chapters of Job. We finally get to hear God reply to what Job's been um, asking for. He wants God to say something to him. And um, it's what we've all been waiting for. And maybe for you, you're wondering, what's God going to say to Job? Is he going to, you know, hey, buddy, sorry, I dropped the ball. Uh, I was too busy for you, all that stuff that happened to you. Or is God going to say, meh, them's the breaks. Or you should have prayed harder, Job. This is why all this has happened to you. Well, perhaps closer to the answer that uh, God gives resembles something what my mentor says. Job, there are things bigger than you. But that can be really hard to hear. Uh, we can think that God is cold or distant with his schemes and plans and 
maybe have these questions of, does my suffering matter? Does God care about me? And most weeks out of the year, we talk about God as someone who's relatable to us, that he created us, he knows us, he loves us. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come and enter our story to save us. And those things are still true, but today I will be taking a higher view of God that uh, we might not be used to, because Job needed someone that was higher and bigger. He needed more than a buddy. He needed a God that was big enough for the chaos and evil in this world. Now, chaos and evil, as the Bible tells us, enters through our rebellion, humanity's rebellion, and partnering with an enemy. And that created suffering, suffering of the world's just fallen, there's, there's disease, uh, you and I do stuff that, that are just, we wrong each other, there's, um, there's natural disasters, but there's also an enemy. Christians believe in an enemy that's actively trying to take us down, and one that hates God and hates his creation, wants to be Lord over it. Now, uh, we see at the beginning of Job that we, we take this high view and s- enter into this, this moment in the, the, the courtroom, or, or I should say God's throne room, where Satan comes in and says, I'm accusing you, God, that you just give nice things to your people. You just spoil them with candy and presents, and that's why they follow you. And he says, uh, God's return is, have you considered my servant Job? And then unfolds this uh, spiritual attack on Job, and he suffers. And then Job sits in that suffering, waiting for God to reply to him. And that's where we are today. Now, before I continue, um, I just want to know, did anyone cause the sun uh, sun to rise this morning? Okay, no. Was, Was anyone there when the oceans were filled. Okay, I will continue. Um, So the way we're going to walk through these these few chapters, uh, they are 38 to 41, is that um, for you and me, there are things that are bigger than us. And that's the coach, the game, and the team. And that's good news. But the struggle we have with faith is Man, if I only knew, right? If I only knew more. Have you ever thought that? I would trust God. I could decide if he's been just with me. If only I was God, then I would decide what was right. And that's just it. We aren't the coach. We aren't God. We wish we were. Or we think, if only I could see what the coach sees on the field, then I could decide if I agree with him or not which is basically, let me be the coach, and let me see if I would do the same thing you did. And I want us to get to a new place. I want us to get to a place where we can rest in God. Let him be God, our God, the one we put our faith in. And that's, that's what's glorifying to him. And it's not easy. Actually, it's impossible. We need some help doing it. And when we turn to him, he can restore us. And give us faith to endure and maybe even thrive. 
But um, there's a rebuke that will come in, this, in, in these chapters. And maybe for you, it's, it's hard to hear that. You go, oh, man, Job just went through so much. You're playing hardball with him. And then you ask, uh, and then God, you're asking him to repent. Wow, that seems pretty tough. Yet this rebuke is only meant to just bring God, uh, Job back to rest in God. Let him be God. Now, for some of you, faith might sound like this cop-out answer. Um, now, for some of us, uh, we might know God but struggle with that. Now, I just want to uh, assure you that God wants us to understand things. He, he made us different than anyone else. He wants us to know, to know and understand. But there's always going to be an element of faith since the Garden of Eden all the way to the end of our lives, there's going to be faith. Now, whether you're a Christian or you are not today, your life requires faith. And you can think about yours as we go through today. But I invite you to see what happens today. And may this be a time for you to maybe enter into a conversation with God. So let's look at these chapters. If you got a Bible... Open it up. We should have some in the back. If you want to grab one or raise your hand, someone will give you a Bible. Um, Open up your phones. Uh, I'm going to do just a short overview of what 3841 looks like. Now, uh, in chapter 38, Job, or uh, sorry, God speaks out of a storm. So right away, we see that the storm is telling us something about God. He's powerful. He's awesome. Um, If you've ever been exposed to a storm, you know what I'm talking about. Um, More than just sipping your latte inside. But I want to also um, push back on maybe something you assume, that, oh, the Old Testament God is just mean and he's the old man upstairs. Well, the thing of it is, if you look at uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, God speaks to someone else, Elijah, and he passes a storm and fire and all these awesome, powerful things. Yet, Elijah says, God was not in there. He didn't, he didn't speak to me in there. And finally, he speaks in a whisper. And that's in the Old Testament, too. So whenever we read scripture, we got to put it together in the harmony of all of the word and put that intention. And I only have a few minutes to do that here. So the Lord can th- speak through a storm and he can speak through a whisper. And he knows what you and I need to hear him. So when the the Lord uh, first speaks to Job, the Lord rebukes him in 38 verse 2. He says, who is this that obscures or darkens my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. And we'll unpack what that means later. But here, God is saying to Job that The way Job has responded to him through the events that have taken place, he has not glorified God. Now, prior to this, Job has been issuing a challenge um, that he hasn't done anything to deserve what has happened to him. And he's not sure whether God is capable of taking up his case, if he can take on the evil that's happened to him and the suffering that's taken place. So, um, in chapters past, it's like Job is putting God on trial. But now that courtroom on trial feeling continues. And now God puts Job on trial for what 
Job has asked of him. And God will ask questions that are not rhetorical, like, hey, ponder this. Hmm, that's nice to think about. No, he's like, give me an answer. What is it, Job? That's how we read these chapters. And then by, uh, uh, by chapter 40, we see Job's response. It's short, then God continues to question him. And then in chapter 41, uh, the Lord goes on to describe what's known as the Leviathan. Um, it's this beast, it's fearsome. And asks Job if he has the power to, you know, uh, if he has the capability to overpower or master the Leviathan. And the answer is no, he can't. Um, because the clear answer is only the creator can. And look, Job, I'm the creator. So that's an overview of these chapters. Um, and now we're going to just look at chapter 38. And the Lord basically says, um, you know, uh, Job, put your big boy pants on. I'm going to treat you as if you're God, because obviously you are taking the position that you know more than me and how to run the universe, including your own life. So the Lord delivers these barrage of questions for Job, and he expects answers from him. These are not rhetorical questions. And what Job is getting to, or sorry, what, what God is getting to is that he is great. God is great, and he is good. Now, how does he say it? God speaks of these creatures and aspects of nature that God knows the answer to because he created them. Uh, he talks about a lion. He's, God is fiercer than the lion, stronger, faster, more agile. He keeps naming all these creatures as you look through. And also there's, there's uh, going to be things that Job, that happen without Job's help. If Job was there, these things would continue to exist. So let's look at some of them. Uh, verse 4 to 5, he says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me of your understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know, Job. Who stretched a line out upon them? You know, did you have a big ruler? Um, was that you, Job? The answer is no. Um, verse 19 to 21. Where, where is the way to the dwelling of light? And where is the place of darkness? And he goes on to, you know, where was it? Do you know? So what the Lord is getting to is that uh, he is the one who created the cosmos, the universe, physics, gravity, matter, space-time. The Lord is the creator. He's above it. He's beyond it. He is the one that's powerful enough and old enough to know its dimensions. God is the one who's sustaining the universe. And then we go into uh, a couple of the animals. I had to cut my sermon because I like want to talk about all the animals. But it's like this. Uh, does anyone know David Attenborough? It's like the high definition nature um, since we were kids. And he's like, and now let's look at the cheeky monkey. Oh, no, there's going to be a kerfuffle with the baboons. Let's watch. Um, but uh, here we have, uh, it's a little bit more serious. God's like, uh, do you hunt the prey for the lioness? and satisfy the hunger of the lions. Job's like, well, no. Um, so it's like, Job, did you know that the lions need to eat? 
oh, are you the one that goes out for them every day and finds their food? No. Are you fierce enough to do that? No. Verse 41, uh, he says, Who provides food for the ravens when its young cry out to God and wander about for lack of food? And my notes were, Job, were you aware that the crows need some love too? Yeah, God says, I take care of them. But where were you? Did you even know that? Verse uh, 39, um, I think it's 39, uh, where it talks about the, the mountain goats. Do you know where and when the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch when the doe um, gives birth to her fawn? And these questions are starting to get at, do you know? Do you see? The answer is God is all-knowing, and God is all-present. He sees it all. He knows it all. And I want to note, again, uh, when we read the Old Testament, we might think God is this mean old man upstairs, distant from us, but he's mentioning a fawn and a doe, which has to be about one of the most elegant creatures and, and one of the most docile or gentle. Um, I, I uh, was in Michigan once on the lake shore, and it was early morning. I took my coffee outside, and this uh, deer just uh, jumped up and ran away, and then this fawn got up. And I noticed they were sleeping on the beach, and there was this little nook in the sand. And I, uh, I just put my hand on that little nook where the fawn was. It was about this size. And it was still warm. And it just, it, I could almost feel like just this soft, tender warmth of a fawn. So God mentions both, right? We see the, ex, uh, the extremes at which God is speaking. He mentions a wild donkey, the hawk, the ox, the horse, and my favorite, the ostrich. Okay, I got to just put this in. So uh, verse 13, the, the wings of the ostrich flap joyfully. They cannot compare with the wings and the feathers of the stork. She lays her eggs on the ground and lets them warm in the sand, unmindful that the foot may crush them, that some wild animal may tramp, trample them. Verse 18, yet when she spreads her feathers to run, she laughs at the horse and rider. And God says, I, I, I didn't give the ostrich wisdom like I gave you, uh, you know, uh, man and woman. I didn't give them wisdom. And it's sort of this awkward creature that, that runs and he's like, I'm a bird, you know. Why is that in scripture? I think the Lord is pointing out that he's quirky. That humans are different than other animals. They're in a class of their own and Job, uh, uh, God is speaking to Job in this way. Now, he could have mentioned more awesome creatures, but I, again, I just want to point out that the Old Testament has things to say about God that are very interesting, that teach us about his quirkiness, his gentleness as well. And that's not to diminish his power and awesomeness, which is the main point of today. Now, what can we take away from this? Um, the Lord appeals to Job by asking him questions about nature that he himself created. And when we take a very, very high view of God, we need to realize that God is awesome. He is so much more than you and me. We cannot comprehend him. We cannot know him unless he helps us. And that's called an accommodation. He's accommodating us. He wants Job to understand something. He says, 
let me put it in terms that you can know. Look at my creation around me. Think of it like an artist. When you see a canvas, when you look at, um, when you go into the art museum and you look at Monet, Monet's going to pick certain things and paint certain things. He appreciates sunsets, by the way. Um, they're beautiful colors. I can, I have never talked to Monet. He's dead, by the way. But I know something about him. I know something about his heart. And that's how we can view creation. It tells us things about God. Another thing I want to point out that we can take away from is the name that is used here. This might, um, uh, this is something I, I learned that opened my eyes to reading the Old Testament. And that's the difference when your English translation uses two different words, uh, the Lord and God. And when you see the Lord, that's the Hebrew translation for God's personal name. And so right away, when we see Job interacting with the Lord, this is someone that God has revealed to us. It's like, uh, when I meet you, I say, I would like to reveal my name to you. My name is Peter. You can speak to me at this level. That's what the Lord is doing here. And then the other word that we see here is God, and that, that's, that's that bigger word for God that you and I can understand. is like, okay, that's God. He's like big, big God. Yet we also know big God as the Lord. So God accommodates Job so that he can start to understand some things about him because God is so big. But we can still get a few things, that God is powerful He's awesome, and he's worthy. God is worthy and can help us rest. And that should be good news for us. Maybe you and I are struggling with rest today, or we're struggling with suffering in some capacity, or we have questions about what's, what's happened in our lives or what, where we're headed in life. It's like this. God says to you, can you manage these things? And the answer is no. Let me just list off some things. No, I can't manage those things. Are you bigger than this? No, you're not. And that should be good news for you and me. Um, I like watching dog shows. And um, whenever there's a problem dog, uh, the, the problem is that the owner is not being the alpha dog. <laughs> That's just like dog psychology in a nutshell for you. Um, and the alpha just means the top dog. Now, the reason there are problems with the owner and the alpha, or, or, or the dog, is because the dog feels like he needs to protect everyone. He needs to look out for their food. He needs to watch out for threats and such and such because he doesn't feel like the owner cares and can't defend for them. So he's like, I'm going to step into this role. And maybe right now for you, you're looking at your life and going, I see so many threats. I see so many things I lack. I need to step into the alpha dog role. But what God is saying to you is like, calm down. Let me be the owner. Let me take us. And when that dog comes into that rightful spot, it's at ease. It can do things no one else can do. 
there's this Australian show on like herding cattle. They can do amazing things just by like whistling. It's amazing. Anyway, God wants us to be at rest. He needs to step into that role that we're often struggling to let him be in, which is Lord. And then what we see is that God was great and he is good. And in those, in those terms, it just means that God is worthy of putting him in that place as Lord. If he was great but not good, he'd be this terrible God that we'd be like running away from and trying to hide from, avoiding. And if he was just good but not great, he would be this like, I don't know, like this nice buddy. But he, he is incapable of handling what you need in life. So we need God to be both great and we need him to be good. That is the coach. The coach is bigger than you, and he's worthy to put your trust in. And then uh, the next point from these verses is that the game, the game is bigger than you and me. And, and what I mean by that is the universe, the way it's running, man, it was here before you. It'll be here after you. There are things going on and details and intricacies that you and I just can't handle. Yet, yet God is master over them. And so our life is small. Um, now, that's not to discourage you. Uh, I don't want you to go home and think, oh, Peter just wants me to think I'm insignificant and stupid. It's like, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying once we find that we are small, we can find our rest in God. Once we find our rightful spot. Now, today isn't like, okay, here's Peter's opinions on um, why I might be small. Let me decide if that's uh, true or not. It's more like, well, the fact is you are not bigger than the universe. And there are things that you cannot handle. So given that fact, what should we do? This is what Job needs uh, confrontation about. And this is what Job is doing. Um, sorry, this is what God is doing um, to Job. Uh, it's his pride. You and me, we both have it. It's something that um, is with us because we have rebelled against God. We've walked away from him. And uh, to, to further illustrate, if you've ever seen the, the musical My Fair Lady, uh, there's Eliza Doolittle, who's this uneducated uh, lady who gets picked up by Henry Higgins, who's this arrogant professor who knows all these languages, and he's constructed this, this life on his own in isolation. He's this studious man, and he just seems to know all the right answers, and he's, he's, he just, oh, he's arrogant. And there's this point where Eliza understands enough to where she, she points out to Henry Higgins, she's like, you are so arrogant. You know what? Did you know that the world will continue without you? She says, there, there's going to, spring will come without you. There'll be fruit on the trees without you. There's going to be um, shore on the sea without you. There's going to be crumpets and tea without you. And what she's getting at is you are not central to the universe continuing. And that's where you and I need to be confronted. I think that we often think the world needs us. 
And lastly, God reveals what is known as the Leviathan. Okay, just think of like Pirates of the Caribbean, the Kraken. Kraken? 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 Kraken, thank you. Um, Which is this awesome, terrible, horrible beast. Um, Now, there are theories what it is. Like, is it the hippopotamus? Is it the alligator? Is it the T-Rex? I don't much care for what it is. Yet, what it reveals and, and why it's here is here is a creature more awesome and terrible lurking on this earth that you cannot control. Um, in, in 41 verse 7, uh, God says, Can you fill its hide with harpoons or its head with fishing spears? If you lay a hand on it, will it remember the struggle and never do it again? Any hope of sub- subduing it is false. The mere sight is overpowering. No one is fierce enough to rouse it. Who then is able to stand against it? Why would God reveal the Leviathan to Job? It's this, it's this creature that should instill fear with us. Yet, I know that today we've, we've mastered nature, and there's not really any creature that we were afraid of. Um, there might be moments like I went whale watching, and I saw a whale go under the boat, and it was this unveiled moment to me of like, wow, I feel so exposed to this amazing creature that's so much bigger than me in a big ocean. But you and I feel like we've mastered this earth, and we're ready to move on to new earths and, and populate them or destroy their nature as well. But um, it's, this, it's this thing that is just fear-invoking. And maybe for you, that might be like an existential crisis that you go through, or the meaning of your life um, start to finish. Or it could be just the system, the, the way the world works, that you can't change it, and it's sort of overpowering you. And all this is getting to is that there are things that are terrible, that are causing chaos, that are causing suffering, and there is an enemy at foot. Now, if the Lord is not your Lord, what are the options you have left? Well, you got to do it on your own. You got to defend yourself you got to look out for number one, which is you. Yet, the Lord is offering to become your Lord. He can step in. And actually, this story's been, been here from the beginning. The last thing that is bigger than Job is, is the team. And from the very start, from the very beginning, Job has been on God's team. And this should be good news to Job, especially when he's faced with something like a Leviathan. He's playing on the Lord's team. We need to remember that God is doing something bigger than us, and we get to be a part of it. The whole game start to finish, and all the way to eternity. This life is not the end, and it's much bigger than that. God is inviting us into a life bigger than ours, now and forevermore. When we are playing on his team, there is no enemy to fear. There's no Leviathan to be afraid of. 
no enemy that can overpower us. Job's struggle of faith at first is, is God great and is he good? And then now unveiled with the Leviathan and this power that's bigger than him, he needs a savior. He needs someone that's bigger than him, bigger than the enemy, and bigger than his struggles. And this story begins in in, in Genesis. Um, Looking at Genesis chapter 3, it says that, Now Satan came in the form of a serpent to tempt Adam and Eve. God creates, uh, creates the world, creates man and woman, and puts them in a garden. And yet the accuser, the enemy comes still. And he, he tempts them. He comes to them. And, and so God uh, says, you can eat and enjoy this garden, um, Adam and Eve. You can enjoy all that, all that is here, yet don't eat from this one tree. This is here for your freedom. Uh, this rule is here for your freedom that you might grow in faith and in knowledge of me. Yet the serpent comes along and tempts them and says, did God really say you can't eat this fruit? And then questions, no, you won't get those consequences if you do it. And fundamentally, Adam and Eve, their crisis of faith is very similar to the crisis of faith of Job. Adam and Eve see this good fruit that God prohibits them to eat from. And a serpent tells them, oh, did God really even say that? Would God withhold something good from you? Is God even really here during this conversation? They start to doubt, like, oh, if God was ever present, we would, we would know it, and we would, we would follow him. Yet, it seems like he's invisible in this moment. And then, wait a second, if God was really good, why would he withhold something from me? I need to know why. And then, and then the invitation comes, if you take this fruit, you will surely become like God. Oh, I can, I can become just as great as him and I won't need God. It's this rebellious vie for power that we might become independent from God. They doubt if God is good and God is great, even in the Garden of Eden. And in Job's suffering, he wonders the same thing. Is God good? Is God great? And we see that Satan entered into both of those circumstances to press them and their faith. Satan questions God's truth and goodness and doubts God's ever-present nature. In that place, they fell. They, they took the fruit, and they walked away from God. And it created this distance, this separation. And they invited the enemy to take power over this world that God did not intend. Yet that was out of our free will. Yet there's still a plan. A plan for that suffering and a plan for that enemy. In the garden, God comes and looks for them. He walks, uh, they, they in their shame try to hide from God, and, and God comes walking in the garden and says, you know, where are you? Where, where, are my, where are my children? Where's Adam and Eve? And they say, oh, we, we were hiding because we were ashamed of, of our nakedness. And in that moment, when God's asking, where are you? Where are you? 
It's his, it's his invitation to say something true to him. It's our, it's our chance to return to him. Now in that story in Genesis, God provides clothing for them and, and promises that the enemy will one day be crushed. For Job too, he needs that same hope. He needs to be on, on, on the Lord's team so that he might be able uh, to have that lordship in his life. But to get to there, how do we get to there? How do we get to be on God's team? Well, we need to stop playing life on our own. And God's the one that makes the way for us to come to him. In, in the Garden of Eden, he says, where are you? They respond, I heard you in the garden, but was afraid and naked, so I hid. And he told you, who told you that you were naked? Well, they start to point fingers. But really, the answer is, I did something. I did something. I took lordship over you, and I have this consequence. For Job, it was 38 verses 1 to 3. He says, you know, who, who obscures my plans without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I'm going to question you. And then in 40, uh, chapter 40, verse 2, he brings it up again. Who contends with the Almighty to correct him? Let him who, who, who accuses him answer him. That's his chance. That's the rebuke of the Lord. He says, I am unworthy. How can I re reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. The Lord's rebuked Job in his pride, and he can do the same to you and to me. Job has darkened or diminished God's plan and God's purposes. When Job repents, how is this a gracious thing? How is it a good thing for Job? How is it a good thing for you and to me? Well, if it is true that Job, and perhaps maybe unaware of what he was doing, was elevating himself to the point of being God, feeling justified to judge what God was doing, God is not condemning Job here. No, he has given Job an experience of what it feels like to be God, what it means to manage the universe all the way from uh, the storehouses of heaven to the Leviathan. And he says, okay, you want to know what it means to be God? You know, riddle me this, Batman. But um, Job rightfully lays it down and says, no, today's the day. I can't do this. It's not up to me. You be God. And maybe that's what you need to do today. Because the news flashes, you're not God. But the good news is, God is God. He's bigger than you. He's the coach. He's bigger than this world and the game. And he wants us on his team. So a true rebuke and confession and repentance is something that's accurate and true. And it will always be gracious because it's an opportunity for us to come into the truth. This rebuke is also spiritual. It's not just intellectual because we can hear things that are true but deny them all the time. Um, you can say, like, oh, I'm not like that. Uh, but the truth is we are. And when we are spiritually made known to the truth, it's a grace. 
Uh, It's something extra that God does for us. And it's by this grace that it's made known to us. And it's that same grace that empowers us to turn to him. To take our clenched fist or our fearful fist and open it up again. To let go of these things that are bigger than us. Um, I, I am newly married. I've been married now two years. And um, Vivian is my partner that helps me find out I am not God. <laughs> and she reminds me of this. Um, and one of those ways is, is she helps me realize when I am in a place of fear and anger, she says, Peter, those things are not true. You're afraid, but you can't handle those on your own. And it's this raw moment where I have a choice. I can either lash out and be like, you don't understand me, or, um, you know, that was the right thing, but not the right time. I can say any of these things, and yet it's this moment I can choose to go, yeah, you're right. I need God in my life. I need him to do it. So our, our series on Job might not answer questions for you in the way that you expect. But there is suffering in this world, and there's an enemy in this world. Yet we can find our story, enter into God's story. We see that there is a tempter, an enemy at the very beginning that causes all sorts of destruction, yet we were a part of it. We allowed it to enter into our lives, and and in some ways we're, we're we're living the consequences of those who made choices before us. Maybe you see that in your own family, too, uh, w- what your situation is. Um, but it doesn't end there. The Christian hope is that there will be a day when God returns and takes on um, all, the, all the suffering, and he puts the enemy in his place. That he is strong enough for you and me. We often talk about uh, Jesus being humble. And, and he, he was humble when he entered this world. That's God's son who came and entered our story. He took on flesh and walked humbly among us. He was obedient to the father's plan that we might know him and see that he takes on our suffering. Both the suffering of, of the world and our individual suffering. But one thing we we neglect to think of Jesus as is Jesus Christ. Christ is uh, this word that just means king. He's the awesome king we need. Where is all this headed for you and for me? It's headed to this place where Christ, the king, is coming back in victory. He came in humility in Jesus. And he's raised in power as Jesus Christ. We can see that in Revelation. Um, God is so big, and he's the Lord of history, that he's able to say, hey, let me just tell you what's going to happen. In Revelation 12, verse 8, he speaks of uh, 
Satan and says this, but Satan was not strong enough. I'm just entering that word. He was not strong enough, but Satan was not strong enough, and he lost his place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent he called, called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to earth and his angels with him. Verse 10, it says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now I have come, uh, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah, which is Christ. For the accuser, who is Satan, of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Jesus Christ is the one who took on suffering and evil for us. And we have this hope that he will defeat Satan um, ultimately one day. When you're on team God, you get to be a part of that. You get to be on his side. And he's going to do it all for us. He's going to be the one that vanquishes that ancient serpent from the start to the finish that is bigger than you and me. But if you take lordship for your own, then you are uh, held vulnerable to the enemy. You're held vulnerable to the chaos and evil of this world. Yet we can come under that lordship. So through this series, maybe you've, you've been holding on to bitterness or maybe you uh, need to think about what crops up for you when we talk about God being bigger than you, that there are things bigger than you in this life. Maybe you need to have a conversation with God about them. And you might be someone who's suffering today. And I want to invite you into that rest, that suffering expose us to a lot of the realities of this world and God wants to meet you in that place. In what I just read, it says that they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb, who is Christ, and by the word of their testimony, that is Christ in you, working today. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. What is greater than that, um, that person who is not afraid of the sin and the suffering of this world and can show it? That's the invitation that we get to be a part of. There is great worth in you and me. Don't hear me say that you are small and insignificant. There are just things bigger than you. And when you're on team God, you get to be a part of his plan. Look at his creation, how beautiful it is, how awesome it is. He has a hope and a future for you and me, and he wants you to be a part of that even today. You can be a part of people's restoration, part of people's salvation, when you share your story of what Christ is doing in your life. And I encourage you to lean into that. If it's hard for you to lean into God today, that's the very place where your testimony is being made. Your story that enters into God's story, that gives purpose and meaning for this life. Let's pray. Jesus, we need you in our lives. We need a savior that can enter into our world and our suffering. Jesus, I want you to know me. 
I want you to know my story. Would you help me realize that you've known me since I was, even before in uh, my mother's womb, you knew me, that, that you've been watching over me, and that it's your heart's desire that I put my faith into you. Lord, I confess that there are things just greater than, greater and more difficult for me to understand than I know. Would you give me enough that I might believe in you? That you would come over me and you'd be my Lord because I need it. Would you speak to me? Would you restore me? Would you give me hope? Lord, I want to show my story to others. Would you help me do that day by day? And would you build in me a hope that nothing could, uh, could shake, nothing could diminish? I want to hope in you. I want to hope in your kingdom. And I want to see it here today and know it's coming. Come, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Amen.